0: Rhinos with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and today we'll be talking about rhinos. Yes, you heard right, the Robots Podcast will be talking about rhinos. But of course it wouldn't be the Robots Podcast if there weren't any robots involved. So what's the link between robots and rhinos? Well, that's easy. A collaboration led by Kenya Wildlife Service and Linköping University is running a pilot program that's aiming to reduce poaching in a rhino sanctuary in Kenya. And they're doing it with a cloud-based reporting system that includes GPS tags on selected animals, radar, surveillance cameras, microphone and radio arrays, and drones. Our interviewer Audrow spoke to Fredrik Gustafsson, Professor in Sensor Informatics at the Department of Electrical Engineering at Linköping University, about this exciting pilot project to save the rhinos.
1: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Fredrik Gustafsson. I'm Professor in Sensor Informatics at Linköping University in Sweden.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you tell me a bit about your research interests? Uh, My interests are quite general. It's about sensor fusion, signal processing, and uh, statistical signal processing on a technical level. But I'm also quite applied. I have applications in automotive safety, in uh, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, in in indoor navigation, etc., etc.
2: And so what is your project in Africa?
1: It's about localization of uh, three main actors today on the savannah. It's the rangers, It's the rhinos in a sanctuary in Kenya, and unfortunately, it's also the poachers. The poaching uh, is increasing over the years now, and it's quite a serious problem. And to have the surveillance uh, uh, ability for the commanders is quite important now, to know where the rhinos are, where the ranges are, and of course, to detect the intruders before they hit the animals. Yes. Now going back, how did you first get involved in this project? Yeah, that's a funny story because uh, I was organizing a conference here in Stockholm and I was looking for a plenary speaker and I got the tips from industry about this uh, ex-Swede working in Washington, D.C. on a think tank called uh, Stimson Center. Uh, he's not an engineer. He is uh, educated in security politics and he is running projects in development countries in all over the world. And he got this project in eastern Africa in 2010. Uh, it's, it was about border security. And three years later, the Kenyan government asked Kenya Wildlife Service to define a pilot study for this uh, application of border security. And Kenya Wildlife Service is uh, responsible for animal welfare and natural tourism in Kenya. And they selected this uh, Rhino Sanctuary in the southeastern part of Kenya. A suitable pilot, an example of border security. Mm -hmm. And we got in contact here in Stockholm, and uh, he was at the same time looking for a technology expert because he has promised to do a technological uh, feasibility study in Kenya. So we went there together in January, two years ago. And since then, we have spent a lot of time together and in Kenya and all over the world with this project. Mm -hmm. So... The project is to stop poaching,
2: essentially. Now, can you give a scope
1: of the problem in Kenya? Yeah. Read about it in uh, papers uh, everywhere. (coughs) It's so alarming now that the poaching figures are going up. Luckily, I got the figures for last year now, and it seems to have leveled out uh, on the level of uh, 1,200 poached rhinos in South Africa. Uh, sub-Saharan Africa every year now. That means uh, three rhinos are poached every day. And the only country that have seen a significant decrease in poaching is actually Kenya, uh, which is good news for us and our project. But um, and still, uh, there are so few rhinos left compared to 40 years ago. It's just 3% left compared to 40 years ago. Wow. So the
2: population of, you think it's stabilizing? The poaching level is
1: stabilizing. It's stabilizing? on a high level, <laughs> on a high level. But there's very few rhinos. But the derivative has uh, is not increasing anymore. I mean, okay. so uh, we have seen an increase over the last six years, mm-hmm. and now it has leveled out. So right now you're in Nagia, Kenya.
2: Am I saying it correctly? Angulia. Angolia. Angolia. Mm-hmm. Angolia? Yes. Okay. And you're running a pilot to implement
1: your system, correct? Yes. There are many you- perspectives of this project. My, my perspective is t- technology, to have a demonstration, test arena for technology, but to also to to uh, doing well by doing good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, my colleague Johan Bergenes he is working with security politics so his motivation is to stop financing of international terrorists because in Kenya it's uh, Al-Shabaab who is organizing uh, the poaching and they take the profits from poaching to finance their bombing attacks so that is his take on this project and we also have uh, other goals here like proving that public-private partnership can actually uh, solve societal challenges or at least contribute to uh, solving them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, tell me about what it's like on the wildlife preservation park or within it. Mm-hmm. I can tell you a little about the rangers' life. In, in Angulia, which is about 100 square kilometers, there are about 60 rangers and 60 rhinos. So there's one ranger per rhino, more no or less. Is that usual? Uh, yes, in sanctuaries. How many, how many rhinos are there total? In total, in Kenya, there are six hundred fifty now, and there used to be twenty thousand forty mm-hmm. years ago.
2: Okay, so one ranger per rhino mm. uh, on this hundred kilometer wildlife square kilometers. Yeah, hundred mm. square kilometer. So,
1: what is their daily life like, and what
2: technology do they have to help them prevent poaching?
1: Yeah. So they divide this area in 10 blocks, and the ranges stay two and two in each block. So they are responsible for this block for one month. They patrol the area, they look for uh, signs of intruders, they look for signs of rhinos, how they walk, how they uh, look like, their well-being. So they have two rules. Uh, Conservation is the original one, to to taking care of the rhinos. But also they are uh, soldiers in the field now. They have machine guns, they have uh, uniforms, and they are prepared for fight. Hmm. Is it common that they're fighting poachers? Yes. And uh, this is a very dangerous job, I imagine. It's very dangerous, yes. So there was an incident earlier this year. They heard a shot, but couldn't find the the poachers. And uh, last year there was an incident where they organized an ambush. They knew that there was an attack coming, and they... Uh, Stayed in the field for 10 nights and then suddenly they heard these uh, intruders coming in the uh, distance. They heard what? The the intruders, the poachers coming. Oh, yeah. And they opened uh, machine gun fire and they killed most of them. So there are so many poachers, which are usually poor farmers that are hired by Al Shabaab, Uh, and they are commonly killed, Mm -hmm. but also the rangers are killed. About yes. 1,000 rangers have been killed the last 10 years. Over the last 10 years? Yeah, and uh, maybe 10 times more approaches. So what kind of technology do they use
2: to track the rhinos, make sure their well-being is, the rhinos are doing well,
1: and count how many rhinos are in an area? They have, they have a walkie-talkie for communication. Yes. But otherwise, they just use their eyes and ears and human mm-hmm. senses.
2: Okay. So how does your research fit in to helping them
1: protect the wildlife? Yeah. So first, we uh, have an information hub in terms of a smartphone with an app we have developed. Or
2: actually, how long has this project been going, first of all? Uh, for two and a half years now. Two and a half years? Okay, continue. So,
1: mm-hmm. so the, the smartphone has an app that uh, replaces all the reports we have done before on uh, with paper and pen and using the walkie-talkie to the radio center. So now they enter everything they see on the smartphone app. And this is also an information hub for the future. So we will connect the sensors to this information hub in the cloud so the commanders can see uh, what happens, not only what the rangers see, but what the sensors hear and detect.
2: So, big picture, you're taking a lot of information and you're aggregating it so you can find larger trends. Exactly. And this and the, and the rhino's behavior, where the poachers are, and this kind of thing. Exactly. Mm. And then also you can perform some analysis with it uh, to determine where the poachers are more likely to be. Yeah, exactly. And this kind of thing. Yeah. What, so, you've mentioned a smartphone app. Are there other components to the system?
1: Uh, there's a cloud solution, of course. Yes. But then we have uh, the sensor systems that we are currently developing in Sweden before they are major enough to be shipped to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, surveillance cameras that we mount uh, close to the waterholes, because there is a lot of action going on at the waterholes during the night. And thermal cameras, uh, microphone arrays, uh, uh, even a radar is very useful for monitoring small and large areas. Mm-hmm. So the the rangers and their commanders get uh, super ears and super eyes. They can see in the dark and they can hear at long distances. Mm
2: -hmm. What about using general technology? Uh, You showed a picture in your talk the other day Mm -hmm. where a a ranger was using a solar panel to charge a cell phone, and you mentioned that they have one Jeep uh, for Mm -hmm. several of them, or one one car to drive around the Savannah in. How does this constrain the solutions? that you can propose
1: um, to pursue or to help the rhinos. Yeah, I mean, Kina is a cableless country. They don't have cables for telephone lines. They don't have cables for power uh, and electricity. So they have to rely on uh, wireless communication, that is GSM. Uh, they have to rely on solar panels for charging their devices. And GSM, what is that? The, the, uh, that's the second generation of uh, cellular technology mm-hmm. satellite cell phone or mm-hmm. no, not satellite uh, cellular based telephone I see, telephone. Mm-hmm. ok so they have to rely on the this technology yeah, existing infrastructure mm-hmm. and the DSM has co- uh, quite good co- coverage in Africa so mm-hmm. I mean uh more or less everyone has uh, these uh, feature phones, as it's called, the flip-flop phones that we had uh, 10, 15 years ago in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So they know how to operate uh, uh, feature phones. But the smartphones with Android or uh, iOS, they are quite uh, unusual still. So
2: the app they use on the smartphone, what kind of... How, how does that work? They put in information,
1: sightings of the rhino... This kind of thing Mm. so user interface is very important because these people they have a paramilitary training uh, so they are soldiers more or less and they have no technology background no no engineering background so we have to take very small steps in uh, the training Uh, and of course the app that we introduced already using smartphone is new technology for them and operating apps uh, is even more new So we have to make it very user-friendly. And uh, we use simple symbols for the most common uh, reports and alerts so they can graphically see. If they see a rhino, they push the rhino button and they can fill in a form that is looking very similar to the paper and pen form they are using today. So so, uh, being familiar with uh, the graphics and the information flow is very important. Mm -hmm. So how closely did you work with them in designing this app. Yeah, we spent many weeks in the field before we started to develop the app. We went with them on patrol. We lived with them in their cottages. We, we sp- spent about uh, 10, 12 trips to the park before we started implementation. And again, this has been going for two and a half years. Yeah, so it took one year before we re- really started to develop the app mm-hmm. because we, we really wanted to have a design that was useful for the, the rangers. So we tested different mock-ups with them. We showed them graphical um, uh, mock-ups of the user interface. We changed it. We came back and uh, asked them, what do you think about this? And we also used, uh, used experience uh, uh, designers from a local company in Nairobi, and they could speak Swahili with the rangers, and uh, we really got a nice feedback and dialogue with them.
2: mm mm-hmm. Now the regular the the rangers that are on the or that are protecting the rhinos do they use the app to make to inform their decisions about how to proceed so if say they found a footprint somewhere and it's likely that someone is up to no good around there will they make decisions about how to proceed based on information that's been logged in the app or does someone external
1: review the information and then contact them or how does it work? It's the commander in charge so uh, at the headquarter at the Angulia, there's always a commander in charge who can in real time see the information the ranges enter into the systems and uh, based on that they can make uh, actions so for instance if they get reports about footprints they can organize uh, an ambush or uh, tell other ranges in the neighborhood to to, uh, look in that direction of the footprints for, for the intruders mm-hmm. So what do the soldiers or rangers
2: yeah. what do they think of this app and what does the commander think of the, the system? Yeah, They are very
1: enthusiastic just such a simple thing that we have a GPS in a telephone and they can see their position it's such, such a big step for them and it's so nice to see their reaction uh, of simple things that we think are trivial and are used to, and they really appreciate. And just having a smartphone is also a nice feature for them. They can, as a, a benefit here, also read newspapers. Mm-hmm. So from being isolated in the field for many months before they get a few days of holiday to go and see their families, they can know uh, stay in touch with the family. They can use the phone for ringing them and they can read newspapers, and they can get updated what is happening outside in the world at the same time. Mm -hmm. There are so many uh, spin-offs, positive effects of this project that they really appreciate.
2: Yes. So what have been some major challenges in designing this app
1: for the Rangers? Yeah, many challenges. I mean, working with uh, organizations in this part of the world is always a challenge. Why? Uh, distance is one. <laughs> uh, but also cultural differences. They are used to different uh, kind of workflows than we are. It takes much longer time that we, than we are used to. <laughs> we think that once we have a deal with something, we can just proceed. But uh, it, in Kenya, it has to be uh, 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 all layers of decision-makers. Must get information and approve it before we can start. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a challenge uh, on the uh, on all dimensions. Mm-hmm. Were there any technical challenges? Yeah, powering. <laughs> we had to fix the solar panels uh, the <laughs> first thing when we gave them the smartphones because it turned out that uh, most of the solar panels were damaged or in poor condition. Mm-hmm. So we placed uh, the batteries the. We added uh, power regulators, so the lifetime of the battery and solar panels uh, are now increased. Mm -hmm. Uh, Communication was a big challenge. We teamed up with a Kenyan operator, Airtel, that uh, participated in field many times, and they tuned the system parameters in the cellular network, so uh, the coverage is much better now. And very importantly, Nokia did a very nice contribution to the project. They installed a 3D uh, base station (laughs) just for the purpose of our our project. So it gives us uh, 50 times higher bandwidth in the park now. So what is it now? Uh, It's more than 1 megabit per second. How does that scale to,
2: uh, say, what you have in Sweden for cell phone data coverage?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost as good as that. But using 4G, you can reach higher speeds. But one megabit per second, you can do a lot with. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can stream video. which what was is it
2: before? What was it before?
1: About 30 kilobit per second, mm. if you were lucky. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so you can stream video, which is good if you mm. add sensors at the, uh, like a surveillance camera at the water yes. hose. so and you can you said thermal
2: cameras, which are low resolution typically.
1: Yeah. So, one megabit per second is more than enough.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, so you mentioned in your talk uh, drones mm. or unmanned aerial vehicles. Yes.
1: Where do these come into play? That is our last step. I mean, there have been many Western companies uh, flying with drones in Africa, uh, demonstrating how useful it is for monitoring wildlife and detecting poachers from the air. But there is no sustainable solution, and it has been kind of playground for technology companies. They have a white team going to the park for one week, showing off technology, very advanced technology, making really nice videos, impressive uh, uh, video coverage of the park. But still, I mean, nothing is left when the team le- leaves. And it's, so, it's not scalable. It's not scalable. And it's so not sustainable. Expensive. Yeah and sustainability is the most important thing here if we don't want to demonstrate something that you can do this we actually want, would like to do this in a scalable way yes. and in Kenya drones are banned today actually so you need a written permission from the Kenyan government to fly a drone
2: mm-hmm.
1: but luckily Kenya Wildlife Service is a government body so they can grant such a permission so it's not a showstopper for us So how do the drones fit into the big picture with poaching? Yeah, as we started with, drones, it's a giant leap for the rangers. They have never seen a drone, they don't uh, know how to operate it, of course, and they probably don't know how to interpret the information from it. So we have to work in small steps and introduce drone at the very last step. And again, it has to be user-friendly, And sustainable, that means that uh, the commander or the operator, one of the rangers, can operate it by himself. And we need to integrate information from uh, the sensors on board the drone in a way that is user-friendly again and fits into the uh, app interface. So the drones would be primarily controlled by humans,
2: flown? Or would you develop like autonomous flight paths that they could uh, perform?
1: probably autonomous, but it might be different modes. So one mode might be to uh, make surveillance of the borderline. So mm-hmm. fly around the park, which is 50 kilometers long borderline, mm-hmm. and uh, look what is happening on both sides. And another uh, mode might be to make uh, what they call sensors, to count the number of animals in the park. And that would be more like a lawnmower uh, pattern, So just scan the park and detect all big animals and count the number of elephants and rhinos and lions inside the enclosure. Mm -hmm. Are you
2: collaborating with any companies uh, to get drones to help the rangers?
1: Yeah, we have a public-private partnership here with a lot of organizations and companies involved. I think it's about 20 now. Mm -hmm. And uh, three or four of these have uh, drones in their product portfolio. So we have uh, made uh, a lot of experiments in a local zoo in Sweden, in Kålmoden Zoo, uh, trying out uh, camera surveillance from the air using drones. Mm -hmm. And we are currently developing uh, smart algorithms for uh, detecting animals and classifying them. Mm. Mm, I
2: see. So you can count them autonomously and accurately. Again,
1: we don't have experienced operators or technicians to operate the system in the field. Mm -hmm. So the more you can automate, the better it is.
2: Yes. Now, the poachers, you mentioned that they're farmers recruited by terrorist organizations. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of money in this uh, for the terrorist organizations. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's an arms race in terms of technology against the poachers? Yeah, they have resources. I mean,
1: rhino horn is valued higher than gold, cocaine, and uh, whatever you can think of as uh, illicit trade. So the price for one, uh, what we can get for one rhino is uh, five kilograms of horn, which is valued more than $300,000 on the black market in Vietnam. And the uh, poachers, they are paid one yearly salary, but that is nothing compared to the uh, Mm -hmm. uh, market in Vietnam. (laughs) So so the profit they can have, the margin is, is huge. Mm-hmm. So they can use the margin to chain to, um, uh, uh, the poachers and equip them with uh, modern technology. So they have night vision uh, binoculars, for instance. Yes. Do
2: you notice them coming in with pretty advanced technology or with sophisticated training?
1: Frequently. The, the last poaching attack in Angulia, there was uh, there was one insider, a gatekeeper, not employees, of the yeah, some local people to guide them, mm-hmm. because it's not so easy to, to navigate in the bush. Uh, and they had one uh, military officer on leave, uh, so we had the military training, and they had another couple of guys also in, in that team. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any possibility
2: that the information you're using uh, or taking on the rhinos
1: could be accessed by the poachers? Mm. Or how's the security? Yeah, that is something I am personally very scared about. (laughs) If we, in some way, help the poachers, then it would be a catastrophe, of course. So uh, data security is very highly prioritized in the project. It's so important. It can't be stressed enough. So we have all kinds of access control to the cloud service. Uh, for instance, only the app installed on devices we have control of can access the, the, the database. Mm-hmm. And they can only be operated inside the enclosure of Anglia. It's a geofenced system. And we can at, at any time erase the data from the telephones uh, on distance if you suspect that the t- telephone is not operated by the ranges.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, how does this project fit in with your life in academia prior?
1: Yeah. Uh, So far, the academic payoff has been (laughs) not (laughs) so impressive. (laughs) Uh, I will publish the first paper in the summer now, but uh, otherwise, the academic output uh, is negligible, I would say. But we have some spin-offs, so we have defined some uh, theoretical research issues uh, based on actual problems we have encountered in the park. But more importantly, uh, this will be both a test and demonstrator for research we have done in the end, once we uh, deploy the sensor systems. It will give us feedback on relevant research problems, but also we will get real data, and uh, what uh, researcher. Needs the most of all today is access to good data for the for proving that the algorithms work in a realistic scenario. Mm-hmm.
2: And what kind of reaction have you had from your colleagues?
1: Uh, everyone is curious. I mean, how, how does it feel to go to uh, to Africa <laughs> once every quarter? Uh, and uh, I mean, it's so an unusual uh, project in all aspects, so people are, are curious and. Uh, um, I get more and more invitations to different places to, to present the project now
2: now, so you mentioned that beginning this project it was serendipitous, kind of it was just you organizing uh, organizing a conference and some guy was looking for something.
1: Mm.
2: Were you looking for an opportunity like this or like some mm. thing outside of normal application and benefiting a problem that we have in this world. Mm.
1: Were you looking for something like that? or Not particularly at that time, but I'm all, always open to new applications, and uh, I'm kind of used to I mean, uh, jumping on uh, new challenges whenever I see one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I decline many invitations, of course, but when, once I see something that really interests me, I can't resist.
2: <laughs> now, what do you think is the future of this project, and then where, how do you hope it's expanded into other
1: environments or other problem domains? Mm. So first we want to finish this so you have a gold standard of how ICT technology can be used. To What's the acronym? ICT, information and communication technology. Okay, uh, And that will take a couple of years. And then we have this gold standard in Angola that you can show up uh, to other parks and sanctuaries in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And hopefully this solution can scale to other parks and uh, assist other ranges in uh, in Kenya and uh, outside Kenya. We already have uh, quite a lot of requests from other parks, but we, we can't work in parallel yet. We have to finish this first. But it's also interesting to, to replicate this kind of solution to other pro- uh, problem domains. So we have, uh, through our commitment to action in Clinton Global Initiative, uh, got contacts with many different organizations for instance for, to protect uh, marine environments to uh, uh, mitigate corruption in africa <laughs> uh, to help uh, children and women in south sudan for using also uh, apps and smartphones for the uh, un officers and uh, a lot of spin-offs like uh, helping the police with the crime scene investigations that's also a reporting task that is done by paper and pen today but most of what they do can be replaced with an app in a smartphone so that that is something where we have already started on and what timeline would you
2: think for this project and for these other problem domains
1: Uh, I will be tired in 20 years. (laughs) It has to stop before then. Uh, But I I will continue this project as uh, long as we have uh, the same kind of interest and funding. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that's the end of this episode. But if you visit Robohub.org, you'll find all our previous episodes, as well as a wealth of other robot-related news and features. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Rhinos with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.